Good morning again. My name is Hojen, and I am one of the pastors here at our church, and today I have the privilege of sharing from God's Word. Uh, I am a pretty big fan of baseball, and one of the best hitters of all times, all time is Ted Williams, who played for the Boston Red Sox. And if you know me, I'm from New York, so for me to highlight a, a Boston Red Sox, it, it, it's a big deal, and it shows how much I love baseball. He is currently the last person to ever bat over 400 in a season back in 1941 which is a tremendous feat because batting 400 means that Ted Williams got a base hit four out of every 10 times. This meant that even the best hitter in the entire country, Ted Williams, did not expect to get a hit every time he stepped up into the plate. To put it into perspective, the overall batting average for all players in the Major League Baseball last year, last season, was 245. 245. For the past month, we have been reminded as followers of Jesus that we are sent ones, literally apostles, to share the, go- the, good, no- the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is that there is a-, a God, the one and only true God who loves us so much that he makes a way for us to have a real and meaningful relationship with him. He, and, and this God wants us to have holistic joy, hope and freedom and peace because of the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And for many of us, we have a lot of guilt around sharing Jesus to others. Even the word evangelism causes us to feel a lot of different things. We feel very um, short. We fall very short of, of where we should be in terms of how we represent Christ and how we tell, tell others about Jesus. But it's important for us to put our being sent into perspective. There might be some of us, some believers, who will figuratively bat 400 like Ted Williams uh, as we share the gospel, the good news to others. But many, if not most of us, will bat closer to 245. And I don't say that in a negative way, because batting 245 is extremely important because it contributes to the team's success. Batting 245 means we keep practicing, we keep showing up to the ballpark, we keep stepping up to the plate and do our part for the team. And batting 245 does not mean we give up because we expect to not get a base hit almost eight times out of ten. Being sent by Jesus means we persist in being a witness for him over the long haul and fulfilling our role, especially for the people in our lives because it brings God great pleasure for him to join, uh, for us to join him in his work, in his mission. And today we want to actually focus on a topic that might, might surprise you. We want to consider that we are sent to familiar faces in our life. And that is our family members and our friends. In some ways, it's actually less complicated to feel sent to people we don't know at all people who live halfway across the world. Uh, There's less risk involved to being sent to people uh, in our city or in our country who we may never see, we may never run into again in the future. And it's a completely different story when it comes to people like our family members and our close friends because we will see them. And there are so many emotions. There is a lot of history when it comes to our family and our friends. And we just want to acknowledge up front that it's, just plain complicated. 
to witness about Jesus, to share about Jesus to family members and close friends who do not believe in Jesus. I have been on mission trips where we did door-to-door evangelism, walking on dirt roads, going to random houses, knocking on their doors and asking if we could share about Jesus. I have also gone on outings in Boston uh, doing cold call evangelism, which uh, some of you may know is just approaching strangers on the street and asking them if you could share about Jesus. Without getting into whether or not these tactics are effective, um, it is definitely clear. It was definitely clear to me that doing evangelism in Ethiopia was much easier than doing evangelism in Boston. Talking to strangers in Boston was actually easier than talking to my relatives and close friends about Jesus. The the risks seem greater when we think about family and friends. They know me well, which means that they know my flaws, my shortcomings. And I know them well, which means I have assumptions about how they will react to what I will say. And human nature is actually to maintain harmony if it exists. And bringing up religion seems the surefire way in our culture to make people really upset. While it is definitely complicated, uh, this morning we want to see that God still sends us to these familiar faces in our lives, particularly our family members and close friends. So today we want to be encouraged by the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And there's so much that we could say about this passage, but we want to focus on the perspective of the woman. Uh, So please take time during this week to read the entire chapter fully to absorb everything that Jesus says and does with regard to this woman. But for our purposes this morning, we want to look at the woman as we consider that we are sent to Jesus, to the people closest in our lives. So would you join me as I read John chapter 4, starting from verse 23. John chapter 4, starting from verse 23. This is Jesus speaking here. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is uh, seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were going to him. And let's skip to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of Jesus' word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray one more time before we dig into Scripture. Father, meet us this morning as we respond to your invitation to make you known. Jesus, show us this morning how good, truly good, the good news is. And Holy Spirit, empower us to respond to Jesus this morning 
and show us the great joy of being sent by Christ. In your mercy, speak to your children, even in spite of me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The woman at the well uh, reminds us this morning of two truths as we consider that we are sent to familiar faces in our life. Two truths about how we are sent to those who are closest to us. Truth number one, we are sent with our own testimony to share. We are sent with our own testimony to share. The woman at the well has a very personal encounter with Jesus, but this encounter is not without complications. There are actually three significant obstacles between Jesus and this woman. First is that she's a female. Second is that she's a Samaritan. And third is that she is an outcast. At the time, it was culturally taboo for a male to interact with a female in public one-on-one. So not only is gender a barrier, but ethnicity is also a barrier. And John offers us a passing commentary by just simply saying in verse 9, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They simply didn't like each other. And most importantly, Jesus points out, using his omniscience, a part of this woman's life that caused her to be an outcast in verses 16 to 18. This Samaritan woman has had five different husbands, and the person that she's with right now is not her husband. While some commentators will say that the Samaritan woman was a immoral, promiscuous, and adulterous person, there's actually no indication of those things from the passage itself. Jesus actually makes no reference to to sin. He mentions nothing about sin when talking to this woman. He just states the facts that she's had five husbands and the person that she's with is not really her husband. It is possible that one or more of her husbands have, had passed away, making her a widow, which typically meant that she, she would have been legally married to the next of kin, a brother. It, it was also possible that she was divorced or abandoned by her past husbands, especially in a strong patriarchal society where men could divorce women for a lot less than legitimate reasons. So it's possible that this Samaritan woman was more of a victim than a sinner. She could have been a person who experienced great loss and abandonment. With that said, however, this woman was likely treated as if she were an adulterer, especially if her husbands abandoned her, or she would have been viewed as receiving the punishment of God for some sin, some unknown sin, if multiple husbands had passed away or deserted her. So everyone in her town would have known her and they would have avoided her and ostracized her for a whole variety of reasons. And because of this shame, we find that this woman is drawing water at noon, which is a terrible time to draw water because it's a hot part of the day to carry a large, heavy container of water. And she's drawing water by herself when typically women drew water uh, together with other women. For Jesus, a Jewish male, to initiate a conversation with a person with these pretty significant strikes against her, it was a highly unusual encounter, one this woman would never, ever forget. The fact that Jesus interacted with her at all, while he knew about her shame, while he knew about the reason that she was an outcast, would have impacted her deeply as being seen, which is something that she would not have wanted but it would have impacted her deeply because she was also treated with more dignity than she had experienced previously. 
Jesus did not withdraw from her. He didn't run away from her. In verses 25 and 26, Jesus reveals to the woman that he is the Messiah, the long-awaited deliverer and king of Israel. In other places in the Gospels, Jesus actually actively avoids claiming that he is the Messiah. But to this unlikely character, Jesus speaks very plainly in verse 26. He says, I who speak to you am he. The Samaritan woman has a very personal encounter with Jesus that very few others in the Bible do. While Jesus doesn't explicitly command her to go and tell others, she essentially runs towards the the same exact people she likely avoided. She probably scared the heck out of them when she did it. Whether she was uh, motivated by excitement, amazement, or disbelief, we aren't sure. But in that moment, she overcame her shame, her fear of others to tell people in her town about Jesus. John points out in verse 28 that she leaves her water jar, possibly to point out that she had found living water rather than the water in the well, which meant that she had faith in Jesus. It wasn't perfect faith, but she had faith in Jesus. And her testimony was simple. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Presumably, she shared much more than this statement, but this was the essence of it. This man, this Jesus, told me all that I ever did. He told me things about my life, things that I had experienced without me sharing anything with him. He knew my shame, but he didn't run away. He knew, he, he told me that he's, he's the Messiah that we have been waiting for. This would have been something along the lines of her testimony. And when it comes for, to us sharing about our faith, Uh, in Jesus uh, to our family and friends, we often focus on figuring out the best method for sharing or getting to a place where we know the Bible really well or theology well enough in order to answer some of the tough questions about Christianity or about Jesus. Other times we're assessing whether we are a good representative of Jesus in terms of our lifestyle and our habits and our behavior. But this woman, she shows us that we might be overthinking it. She shares about her personal experience with Jesus without reading a book or taking a class on how to share the gospel, without even knowing the entire Bible, because Samaritans only read the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. And she definitely did not have the chance to fix her life, the part of her life that she was most ashamed of before she shares, simply shares her encounter with Jesus to the people in her town. Sometimes we obsess over trying to perfect that story, right? Why you should become a Christian story or how I became a Christian story. But sometimes it's actually more important to share, here is what I think is so good about Jesus. That's the story that we might need to share more often. And there are actually so many ways to share that without making the conversation a debate about religion. There's so many ways to do that without forcing your family and friends to listen to some sort of rehearsed presentation about the gospel. You just, you can just talk to them. You can just ask them about what brings joy to their lives. You can ask them what brings them hope and peace during a time that when it's so hard to find hope and peace. You can also simply take a deep interest in the details of their lives Because we need to be motivated by the fact that Jesus is very motivated 
or uh, very interested in the details of every person's life, just like he proves in his conversation with the Samaritan woman. And in some ways, every single person has a, a quote-unquote testimony to share. Those of us, uh, those who do not profess faith in Jesus, just have an incomplete testimony. It is our task then to listen to these testimonies, these incomplete testimonies, to hear what matters, what matters to our family members and our friends who don't know Jesus yet in salvation, and then prayerfully discern, with the help of the Holy Spirit, when to be more explicit about Jesus, when to actually tell them what Jesus offers to them. So I have a question for all of us today. Have we shared our testimony with our family members and our close friends? I often find that even in families and and friend groups where everyone goes to church, where everyone professes faith in Jesus, a lot of us don't know each other's testimony of faith. As a practical application, we should start there. We should share our testimony more often with fellow believers and then prayerfully ask God to give us an opportunity to share our testimony to people who don't know him yet, especially our family and friends. And if you are joining us this morning and you do not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we're so grateful that you're, you're here, you're, you're listening to this, uh, you're worshiping with us. But I would challenge you to ask the Christians in your life to share their testimony with you. You should ask them about what they love most about Jesus and and what they think is the best part of following him. I imagine that would be a much more interesting and meaningful way to learn about Jesus than to uh, read a book, listen to a podcast. So truth number one, we are sent with our own testimony to share. The second truth is that we are sent with an invitation for others to come and see Jesus for themselves. We are sent with an invitation for others to come and see Jesus for themselves. Again, this Samaritan woman is an unlikely uh, messenger of the Messiah's arrival. In her culture, a woman's witness was not considered as, as credible as a man's witness. And she was in many ways the least likely person to encounter the Messiah, especially because she was perceived to be religiously unclean or even punished or cursed by God. Let's read the woman's words again in verse 29. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Come and see. Not only did the woman have a personal testimony of encountering Jesus, but she also invited her fellow townspeople to see Jesus for themselves. It's it's not without some doubt and uncertainty, however. She She asks, can this be the Christ? And grammatically, this is a rhetorical question that is more along the lines of, this is not the Christ, is he? But the invitation, surprisingly, is good enough for the people of the town to respond. In verse 39, we read that many, many Samaritans from that town believed because of the woman's testimony. Pastor and educator Jasmine Flores, uh, reflecting on this passage, she says, Jesus here is, uh, he, he is redeeming a nation, not just a woman. He met the woman at the well, but through her, he was inviting the Samaritans to him. Through the imperfect testimony and the imperfect invitation of a very unlikely apostle, 
in the Samaritan woman, many other unlikely people become believers of Jesus Christ. The woman's testimony, it, it plays a significant role in the Samaritans believing in Jesus. And because of her testimony, they were able to hear for themselves and know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. That's what it says in verse 42. Jesus is the one who ultimately saves and changes hearts, but we are the ones who get to. We get to direct others to him. And the more and more we direct others to him, we benefit. We gain a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. We see the depths of his love for all of God's people as he finds ways to uniquely love each person as individuals, masterfully love them. And then he, he not only leaves them as individuals, but he folds them into the family of God. We see Jesus' extent to, or the extent of Jesus' ability to save and redeem people from all sorts of suffering, shame, and separation. And then he transforms their lives. He transforms the, the terrible things, the, 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 the broken things, and makes them the things that bless others, that actually become their testimonies to invite still yet other people who don't know him. This nameless Samaritan woman at the well becomes more of an apostle than any of Jesus' 12 disciples at this point of the Gospel of John. The disciples haven't brought anybody to faith to, um, at, at this point of the Gospel, but the Samaritan woman, she brought her town. With her invitation of come and see, she has brought her townspeople, the people who knew her the best, to Jesus. This means that we too should have a come and see component to our evangelism to our family and friends. As sent ones of Jesus Christ, we have good news of great joy to share with others. And we should call people to come and see for themselves what we have witnessed and experienced for ourselves. And we just have to be a little honest now because sometimes we functionally outsource our evangelism. We might talk about church and church things when we are asked about our weeks or weekends, but we maybe unconsciously, subconsciously avoid talking about Jesus. We sometimes invite family members and friends to church services and, and events, hoping that the worship leader on that particular morning sings really good and relevant songs that week, or the pastor shares an especially engaging and meaningful sermon you know, on that particular Sunday without really having a plan to share why and how Jesus makes a difference in our lives. And please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we should stop inviting our family members and friends to church, but I am saying that as sent ones, we should invite them to come and see what we know about Jesus and what we have experienced with Jesus. They should have something to expect when we say come and see, and we should be the ones telling them that. Randy Newman, he writes in his book, Bringing the Gospel Home, uh, which is focused on, on how to share about Jesus with family and friends. He says this, we need a content-rich message in a compassion-saturated relationship. We need a content-rich message in a compassion-saturated relationship. Both are required as we share the good news of Jesus to others, especially among our family members and our close friends. More than inviting the people in our life to a church service, 
a more effective way to invite someone to come and see uh, Jesus for themselves might be to actually invite them to read the Bible with us, with you. In reading the Bible together, they can ask you questions and have conversations in a setting that is much more intimate and, and informal, uh, where communication can happen in two directions, versus a church service where communication typically happens in one direction and in a much more formal experience. So pray about that. Think about that. Maybe there's someone in your life you want to extend that invitation to. We are sent with our own testimony to share, and we are sent with an invitation for others to come and see Jesus for themselves. I hope that these two truths encourage you this morning. They encouraged me. These two truths that we can see in action in this Samaritan woman at the well who did not have a perfect understanding of Scripture. She didn't have a perfect testimony. She didn't use the most eloquent words to share the news that the Messiah had come. But she was still, nonetheless, instrumental in changing lives of the people who knew her the best. I know that uh, being sent feels like a lot of pressure. It seems like there are just so many people that God is sending us to. There seems to be so much we need to learn and unlearn in order to be sent. There are so many ways that we just come up short because of our own weaknesses, blind spots, fears, and insecurities. And there simply just seems to not be enough time and space in our lives to be sent. I, I know it can feel like a lot of pressure because, just to be really honest, I feel it too. We are in a moment of history where there is not a lot of confidence in Christianity, in Christians, in, in local churches. The past few years, especially during the pandemic, many churches have been confronted with the ways that we need to do better, including our church cornerstone, in terms of loving our neighbors, especially those uh, people of color, people who, who have been wounded by the church. And representing Jesus that we see in the Bible seems to be rare because we see more of the Jesus of Christian nationalism. We see people doing and saying things in the name of Christianity that look nothing like Jesus. We see prominent spiritual leaders fall and, and they're discovered to wound more than caring, which was supposed to be their call. And I say that I say that with great, I, I believe, fear and trembling before the Lord because I know that I am a, an imperfect, a very imperfect pastor who needs to do better, who needs to learn and unlearn things, and who needs to own up to my mistakes. It can be absolutely discouraging to think about how anyone can truly see Jesus at this time in the way that he is supposed to be represented. But this morning, through the Samaritan woman we must remember that we are not being sent alone. We are not being sent alone. In the, since the 1700s, uh, many stories have circulated about sailors seeing milky seas where the ocean seems to glow beneath them from horizon to horizon. Uh, but these stories were generally dismissed as tall tales from seafarers. Uh, this changed, however, in 2005 when scientists used satellites to confirm a sighting of these milky seas uh, from a British ship that was sailing the Indian Ocean. 
an area roughly the size of Connecticut was glowing. Later, marine biologists discovered that these glowing waters were caused by massive swarms of bioluminescent bacteria, meaning bacteria that somehow convert chemical energy into light energy. And uh, believe it or not, almost exactly a year ago, this phenomenon was witnessed in Southern California. These bacteria are microscopic. You can't see them with the naked eye, but when they congregate together, these tiny creatures can suddenly radiate their light 600 miles into space. When all of us, all of God's children, as imperfect as we might be as individuals, when we collectively, all of us, testify in unison to who Jesus is and how we have encountered him personally, and when all of us jointly invite others around us to come see and hear what we have seen and heard from Jesus, when we invite them to experience that for themselves, Jesus can be known in this very, very broken world. The light that we might shine as, as an individual person might, might be dim, might not be as bright as we would like. But when we collectively shine our light for Jesus together, when we collectively shine that light together, then those who do not know Jesus will get a clearer picture that this indeed is the Savior of the world. And Cornerstone, we have to do this together. It's not on select individuals, a few people to share their testimonies and extend invitations. It's not on just the leaders to, to, to do this well. It's on as many Christ followers as possible, persisting in making Jesus known to the best of their ability. It means us to step up to the plate and bat our 245. It's on all of us to follow the example of this Samaritan woman at the well by sharing our testimonies and inviting those closest to, to, to us to come see and hear Jesus for themselves. And I believe this is how God will reveal himself. This is how God can change the world. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come before you. We thank you for the word. We thank you that the Samaritan woman was written about. Sometimes we wish she had a name so that she could get more credit. Sometimes we wish we knew more details about her life. But what we can see is such a simple faith, a simple response to encountering the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the long-awaited, the anointed King that all of us so desperately need. I pray, God, that for us at Cornerstone, that we would not approach our relationship with you as merely how we get to have a better life, Help us to see that this news is, is so much bigger than that. We want to see that you are bigger than that. We want to know that you desire for all people to come to saving knowledge of you. And for whatever reason, as confusing as it might be, and even as frustrating and discouraging as it might, it might be at times, you want to use imperfect people like us. So strengthen and embolden and empower my sisters and brothers who are worshiping this morning or whenever it is that they hear this, help them to really follow you. Know that Jesus sends them with the Holy Spirit so that they can witness to who you are, Lord. 
I pray that you would allow them to have these opportunities. They may not bat 400, but help them to bat their 245, to persist in it, to, to persevere in it, and give them the great privilege of leading someone, especially those who are closest to them, into saving knowledge of you. And may that spread like wildfire, God. May your people shine brighter because more and more of us are speaking out about who you are in, in simple ways, even in the face of, of animosity, uh, of opposition. Encourage us this morning, strengthen us, and we depend on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.